Please be aware that True Crime by the Book may discuss topics, share opinions, and use language that could be disturbing or offensive to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Greetings and salutations, bibliophages. Thank you for joining me on True Crime by the Book, where every other Tuesday we meet up to talk real crime one page at a time. I'm your host, Tasha Pierce, and if you'd like to help the podcast, please head over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, anywhere, and drop a review. I would certainly appreciate it. Now, you know my mantra here is there is more than one type of crime. Today, the main source of reference for this episode was Murder in the Heartland by M. William Phelps, narrated by J. Charles. Now, Charles's reading was engaging. He slipped in and out of different characters in a way that was not jarring or abrasive. His tone fit the material. At times, a folksy charm. At other times, his voice was tension-filled. And I truly appreciate that in his narration. Now, in case you need an audible author page refresher on Phelps, he is a New York Times bestselling author of at least 40 nonfiction books to date. He has consulted for uh, for crime shows on television, including season one of the hit television show Dexter. The first episode of this podcast was inspired by his book Obsessed, which covered the crimes of Sheila Davalu. Now, today's story is very disturbing. And this retelling may be unsuitable for some listeners. And I know there is a disclaimer at the start of this episode, but I think it's important to issue another. Because today we discuss the heartbreaking and shocking murder of Bobby Joe Stennett. So let's get the Goodreads synopsis before I go into the circumstances surrounding this week's story. On a December night in 2004, a 911 operator in Nottaway County, Missouri, received a frantic call from a woman who found her pregnant 23-year-old daughter in a pool of blood on the living room floor. Most shocking of all, the dying woman's unborn baby had been viciously ripped from her womb. Murder in the Heartland goes behind the scenes of two picture-perfect American towns, forever changed by one horrifying act of violence. With exclusive access to key witnesses, family members, and potential victims who narrowly escaped a similarly gruesome fate, M. William Phelps tells a classic American tale of unthinkable murder and the quest for justice. How many mothers do I have in the audience? Raise your hands. Well, 25 years ago, I became a mother myself. And thinking back to my pregnancy, I remember being both excited and full of fear at the same damn time. I mean, the fears are probably, probably common amongst first-time parents. Um, Am I ready for this responsibility? Will I be a good parent? How big of a fool am I going to act when I go into labor? So those were my questions. And there was quite a bit of pain, not as much drama as I expected, and the feeling of unparalleled love when I looked into the eyes of my newborn son. No, I wasn't ready for the responsibility, and I made my fair share of mistakes while raising him. 
but I didn't lose him or break him. And those were two of my worst nightmares. And I'm also proud of the man that he's become and proud of the woman that he made me. Well, Bobby Jo Stennett had recently celebrated her 23rd birthday in December of 2004. And I'm sure she was at peak excitement because she and her husband, Zeb, were preparing for Christmas and anticipating the birth of their first child. And if they had a little house in Skidmore, Missouri, the nursery was done and the sounds of a baby girl would soon be filling their home. Bobby Joe was due on January 19th, 2005, and she was in her eighth month of pregnancy. Now, this is easily the most awkward and clumsy time for most women. Maneuvering the extra weight and general discomfort is more of a task in those final weeks. But there were still things that had to be done, and she joyfully went about her housework and managing the dog breeding business that she and Zeb ran out of their home. The couple bred rat terriers. Now, the rat terrier is an American dog breed with a background as a farm dog and hunting companion. So traditionally, more of a type than a breed. They share a lot of ancestry with the small hunting dogs known as feists. Now, these little guys were Bobby Joe's passion. And she had won awards for her dogs at shows. She had met many other breeders at these shows and was part of the rat terrier community. There were even message boards, uh, one called Ratter Chatter, <laughs> and another named Annie's Rat Terrier Rest Area, of which she was an active member. So here she chatted with other breeders and struck up friendships. Through one of these friends, Bobby Joe was introduced to Darlene Fisher. Now, Darlene was a breeder who also was pregnant. She and Bobby Joe shared their excitement and talked dogs and babies often. Now, on December 15th, Darlene expressed an interest in purchasing one of Bobby Joe's pups. The two ladies made plans for Darlene to come to Skidmore to visit and pick up a dog. So on December 16th, Darlene got into her red Toyota Corolla, grabbed a page with directions to the Stennett house that she printed one month earlier, and made the 300-mile journey to Skidmore. Lisa Montgomery was a 36-year-old mother of four and wife to Kevin Montgomery. He was her second husband. Her ex-husband and father of her four children was Carl Bowman, who was a perpetual thorn in her side. They were set to go to court over custody of their kids in January. So Carl intended to prove that she was unstable and unfit to properly care for their children. She had already allowed her 14-year-old daughter, Ky Kayla, to move to Georgia and live with a virtual stranger. He wanted to get the other minors out of her home. He thought he had an excellent chance of winning full custody of two of his kids because Lisa was a negligent mother and had a history of being a pathological liar. Her latest whopper was that she was expecting a baby. This was a frequent lie that she told because she enjoyed the attention that pregnancy gave her. Of course, Carl knew that Lisa had her tubes tied in 1990 after the, after the birth of their fourth child. It was impossible for her to be pregnant. 
and he intended on proving to the courts that she was just a manipulative attention seeker who wasn't capable of parenting. Her supposed due date was December 13th, so when she could produce no child, she would be guilty of perjury, found incompetent, incapable of parenting, and he would win custody. Slam dunk. Carl even went the extra mile of telling Kevin, her new husband, that it was inconceivable for Lisa to be pregnant. Kevin stood by his wife, though. She had morning sickness. She, she had mood swings. And she looked pregnant. She had shown him an ultrasound. She even went to the doctor regularly for checkups on the progress of her pregnancy. Did I mention that she looked pregnant? Things were even more complicated for Kevin when Lisa's mom called and reiterated that there was no way Lisa could be pregnant. She had a tubal ligation. On a side note, tubal ligation is considered a permanent method of controlling fertility, but there is that one in 200 chance of it failing. So Lisa was claiming to be a, a statistical anomaly. On December 16th, Lisa was set to go Christmas shopping. She was past her due date for the newest addition to her family, but she wanted to get a special Christmas gift for her daughter, Kayla, who was coming home for the holidays. So Kayla is the one that was away in Georgia, living with a friend who could assist her with what had become a full-time hobby, dog breeding. They bred a very specific type of dog, in fact, rat terriers, and they had been showing their dogs in competitions. In fact, they were photographed at one such competition in April of that year with Kayla, Lisa, their dogs, and the Stennets. Kayla was an online friend of Bobby Joe's and even felt inspired by her. That's just showing you the rat terrier world is a small one. But back to Malvern, uh, Kansas and Lisa's shopping exp excursion. She told her oldest daughter that she would be back soon. And before long, she was in her red Toyota Corolla heading down the road towards town. Now, I think we'll pause here for a word from the host of a new true crime podcast you're sure to love. It's called True Consequences. Hello, this is Eric Carter Landine, the host and producer of True Consequences, a true crime and mystery podcast with stories based in New Mexico and the American Desert Southwest. We'll uncover cases such as the Toy Box Killer, one of the worst serial rapists and suspected serial killers in New Mexico's history. We will also discuss mysteries such as alien sightings, as well as hauntings and other weird things that happen in this area of the country. I hope you'll give me a chance and listen to True Consequences. I think you might enjoy it. Now, back to our story. Bobby Joe was awaiting Darlene's arrival. In the meantime, she talked on the phone with her mom. Becky Harper, Bobby Joe's mother, was also full of anticipation for the birth of, their, of her first grandchild. She regularly checked in on her expectant daughter and planned to do that later on that afternoon. She was so proud of Bobby Joe and Zeb, how they almost personified love in their relationship and that they were starting a family, 
how Bobby Joe's glow only got brighter during their marriage and now in her pregnancy. Zeb was a good husband and provider. They were living their dream. And as they spoke on the phone, Bobby Joe noticed that her customer had arrived and quickly ended their conversation. Becky had no idea that this would be the last time she heard her daughter's voice. By 3.15 p.m., Becky had called Bobby Joe's home a number of times. There was no answer. She was concerned because when they spoke earlier, Becky had asked her for a lift to the auto shop to pick up her truck. So Becky Harper made her way to Bobby Joe's to make sure everything was all right. She entered the tiny home and called her daughter's name. No answer. Then she went room by room, hoping that she hadn't fallen or passed out. At 3.28 p.m., Becky found Bobby Joe. She was splayed out on the floor, surrounded by blood. The, ro the room showed signs of a struggle. Blood was everywhere. A horrified Becky dialed 911 and said, It's my daughter. It looks like her stomach is exposed. It looks like her stomach has exploded. Okay, now it's time to detail the crime itself. Bobby Joe had just noticed that a car had pulled into her gravel driveway and got off the phone with her mom. She went to the door expecting Darlene Fisher. Instead, she was greeted by Lisa Montgomery, a lady she was acquainted with through the many dog shows they had both competed in. As the women chatted, it is presumed that Lisa asked to see one of the pups. When Bobby Joe turned to get one, Lisa extracted a rope, quickly put it around Bobby Joe's neck and pulled. When Bobby Joe lost consciousness, Lisa produced a makeshift birthing kit and a serrated paring knife from her purse. With the knife, she began to perform a crude C-section on Bobby Joe. The searing pain from the initial incision would have jolted Bobby Joe back to consciousness and realizing that both she and her unborn child were in danger, a fight ensued. Lisa struggled with Bobby Joe, who had gripped Lisa's hair with both hands. Lisa regained the upper hand in the melee and again got the rope around Bobby Joe's throat. Because she had already lost a lot of blood from being sliced open, this time Bobby Joe succumbed to the strangulation. Lisa hurriedly completed the C-section and successfully delivered Bobby Joe's baby girl. With that, she swaddled the child and escaped the scene. She began to make the trip back to Melvern. It has always confounded me that people think they can get away with this kind of crime. Like, is no one shocked that you would return from a shopping trip with a brand new baby? How do you explain to your entire family that you delivered a baby and was released from the hospital within hours? Well, as crazy as it sounds, it's not as uncommon as one would think. There's a condition known as pseudosiasis. Pseudosiasis is the medical term for a false pregnancy. Pseudosiasis can cause many of the signs and symptoms of pregnancy 
and often resembles the condition in every way except for the presence of a fetus. So Lisa displaying all the marks of pregnancy isn't unprecedented. It is thought to occur in roughly 1 in 22,000 women, so still a huge anomaly. Or what makes this condition criminal is when a woman who has one of these phantom pregnancies decides to engage in fetal abduction, like Lisa Montgomery. Sadly, this phenomenon of women stalking expecting mothers with the intention of stealing their unborn children is not totally uncommon either. The most recent case that was reported was a nine-month pregnant 19-year-old Chicago woman, Marlene Ochoa Lopez. She was lured into a house with the promise of free baby clothes on April 23rd of this year and then was strangled. Uh, police believe that the baby was forcibly removed during that murder, and a 46-year-old woman living at the residence subsequently called emergency services and stated that she had just given birth to an infant. The baby boy was stated to be in critical condition then, and then the deceased mother's body was found on the property on May 15, uh, 2019, and the little boy named Giovanni Jariel Lopez died several weeks later from brain damage. In the case of Bobby Joe's child, Lisa Montgomery somehow successfully delivered the baby after only watching YouTube videos detailing the procedure. In fact, she was just about to call her husband and children to announce that she had gone into labor while shopping and delivered the baby at a nearby woman's clinic. Her excited family couldn't wait to see the baby. Kevin asked what clinic she was in, and she explained that she had been released. Now, Kevin, you have to know that's not a thing, right? Right, Kevin? No? Well, then she told him she'd be home shortly. Kevin, you have to know that this is not a thing, right? Right, Kevin? Most women, after delivering a baby, are not about to drive God knows how many miles home without assistance. This time, Kevin was like, absolutely not. So good on you, Kevin. But he and her daughter would be there shortly to pick her up and to bring her car home. Still no alarm bells in nobody's mind, though. This is just a freaky, freaky situation. No alarm bells. Anywho, <laughs> in Skidmore... Authorities had put the pieces together and realized that Bobby Joe had been killed for her unborn child. In the struggle, she had yanked clumps of hair from her assailant, which was bagged as evidence. After speaking with her mother, law enforcement found out that a woman named Darlene Fisher had been at the house to buy a dog. Darlene Fisher had just moved to the top of the suspect list just as Lisa had planned when she made her up. The sheriff issued a very controversial Amber Alert for the missing child. Now, an Amber Alert is a widely publicized bulletin that alerts the public to a recently abducted or missing child. It relies heavily on detailed information about the child, the abductor, and usually the vehicle involved, including make, model, color, and license plate number. Now, in the Stennett case, there was no known description of the abductor, 
no way to know the missing child's features, and very little about the vehicle. Now, I say very little about the vehicle because a family friend had earlier drove by the Stennets to check on Bobby Joe, but noticed a dirty red Toyota or Mazda at the house. Now, he assumed she had company and went on his way. And I can only imagine him feeling awful about not stopping that day, but he had no real way of knowing that Bobby Joe was in any danger. Now, this kidnapping and murder made the national news due to a slow Christmas news cycle. People all over the area and the country were aware that a psycho had slain a young woman and stole her child right out of her womb. The Montgomery household was oblivious, though. They were all awed by the new bundle of joy in their midst. Now, while the FBI was investigating the rat terrier chats and emails shared between Darlene Fisher and Bobby Joe Stennett, Lisa was phoning friends and loved ones to tell them of Abigail's arrival. The next morning, December 17th, Lisa did something unfathomable to most new mothers. See, there's this period of time that coincides with recovery for the new mother. This fragile little human has just been through a trauma. And that's even, that's if everything goes normally. This infant needs to adapt to life outside the womb. Uh, get used to the sights, sounds, and sensations that are going to be customary in her new surroundings. But Lisa needed no physical recovery since she didn't do any real labor. So she set out to show the town baby Abigail to prove to everyone who doubted her that she had indeed been pregnant. So she and Kevin went out to eat and shop literally hours after ripping that poor baby from her mother. And the townsfolk, they fawned over Abigail even while the women wondered how Lisa could be so irresponsible by bringing a newborn out of the house in December, no less. In the meantime, in Missouri, law enforcement was getting leads as to the potential whereabouts of the missing Stennett baby. They had been fielding calls from members of the Rat Terrier community with everything they thought they knew about Darlene Fisher. She supposedly lived in Fairfax, Missouri. Her email address was Fisher, the number four, and kids. Did that help? But their biggest lead came from a caller all the way in Georgia. She told the investigators about a woman she knew who just had a baby despite having a tubal ligation. She told them this same lady had previously faked pregnancy at least four times and she was acquainted with that victim. When asked this woman's name, she told the FBI, Lisa Montgomery of Melvern, Kansas. Shortly after that call, forensics got a hit on the IP address from Darlene Fisher's correspondence with the victim. It was determined that that IP originated in Melvern, Kansas. Later that evening, Kevin... Lisa and Abigail were returning from their day out. They noticed a black SUV at the corner of their street. It was Christmas time, so there was very little odd about strange vehicles being in the neighborhood. 
neighbors is going to be having visitors for the next month. But when they pulled up to their house, more black SUVs and law enforcement would soon be swarming them. Directions were shouted, hands up, get down, where's the baby? Abigail was handed to an officer and she was rushed back to Skidmore. The jig was up. Zeb Stinnett was reunited with his and Bobby Joe's daughter. And he knew exactly what Bobby Joe wanted to call her. Victoria Joe Stinnett. Despite her traumatic entrance into the world, she was a beautiful angel. A miracle baby. In death, Bobby Joe had delivered law enforcement the evidence they would need to positively identify her killer. Those clumps of hair she pulled out in the struggle positively matched to Lisa Montgomery. Lisa went on trial for the murder of Bobby Joe Stennett and the fetal abduction of Victoria Joe. She was found guilty and sentenced to death. She is currently in federal prison in Fort Worth, Texas, awaiting her execution. Now, there are a lot of questions about what could make someone so desperate that they would commit this grisly kind of crime. Would she have faked another miscarriage if her ex-husband Carl Bowman wasn't planning to get custody of their children? Make no mistakes. I don't think she cared about her children enough to kill for them. I believe she didn't want to lose to Carl. She had no problem sending Kayla to live with someone she hardly knew, who, in case you didn't put it together, called the FBI with that huge tip. No, she let them live anywhere but with Carl. I think she had something to prove to Carl, to Carl, her mother, and anyone else who doubted her. Her motive was selfish, which makes the whole situation even worse. She planned this for months. She had even printed the directions to the Stennett home a month in advance. And sadly, there was still drama in the life of Victoria Joe when Becky Harper, her maternal grandmother, ended up taking Zeb Stennett to court over visitation. Now, Becky did receive visitation, but she had to honor Zeb's wish to not tell the child the circumstances surrounding the death of her mother and I just recently had seen a picture of a now teenaged Victoria Joe and she is absolutely stunning just like her mother and that is M. William Phelps murder in the heartland I'll see you in two weeks when we discuss my friend Anna the True Story of a Fake Heiress by Rachel DeLoach Williams. Uh, if you have any feedback, comments, book suggestions, crazy questions for the host, I'll direct you to my email, tcbytb at gmail.com. Please subscribe to True Crime by the Book on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and many other podcatchers and share the show with a friend. I would also appreciate ratings and reviews on your platform of choice. We got through another one, guys. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you later, bookworms. <laughs>